Hi, I'm Bastian Schweinziger, and this is BR Football Ranks. Ladies and gentlemen, it is getting very cold outside. So come on, make yourselves at home. Welcome to the warmth of BR Football Ranks. It is the festive season. And so we thought we'd treat you with an episode full of presents. From burning questions to a special guest to a Classico-themed roulette wheel. So hold on tight. We're going on a sleigh safari through some shifting soccer spheres. My name is Jack Collins and I will be your holiday host today, guiding your odyssey and joining me as ever are BR Football's finest. First up... Our festive football force, the Calcio Christmas Colossus, is the rank god, Mr. Samtai. Hi, mate. And our effervescent erudite elf himself, the merry magi of the mistletoe melon, it is our football insider, Mr. Dean Jones. Call me an elf. He's only, yes, five, have, he's only five foot eight. How are we? We good? Yeah, very good. Good weekend yeah. of football. Off to a bad start by the sounds of it between you two. Yeah, I mean, we're going to fight all day. We're that's mates. Okay, yeah. Deep down, we're mates. We do like each other. Some burning questions to, to warm things up. So we're going to start at the Etihad. Manchester City, 14 points behind Liverpool in the Premier League title race. Lost the Manchester derby at the Etihad this weekend and find themselves in all sorts of trouble. Dean, what's going wrong? Well, a lot. I think it's quite clear they miss Aguero. They miss Laporte, so that's two obvious things. Raheem Sterling hasn't been himself the last couple of games going back really to the end of the Liverpool game and England duty when all that those issues came out I thought he was going to bounce back from that and really like react well but it hasn't really happened but beyond that I think the change for me in, in City is that they're chasing not chasing games but almost putting themselves under so much pressure that the lines are opening up and you see and Rafa Benitez actually spoke about this in some punditry on on Monday that when City play now the gaps between particularly the, f- the midfield line and the forward line has become so stretched that it's leaving this huge space in the middle of the field. And I think in the United game, we definitely saw that they exploited that. You saw that De Bruyne and Rodri and the players further ahead of them just became so far apart. And that's not something you've ever really seen with Man City. And mm. part of the problem for City against United was that when they tried to play their usual patterns through the middle of the park, United just completely closed it up. They didn't let them play those combinations that worked so well for them. De Bruyne couldn't get the ball in the same areas that he wanted to, even when he was forced wide, which is what United wanted. They were equipped for it in the middle and they were most of the time able to deal with the danger that came their way. So I think it's important to give Solskjaer some credit because he doesn't get much credit in this job, but he's just beaten Mourinho, he's just outthought Pep for 45 minutes anyway and got the result that he wanted and tactically got it spot on and he got through that game and I think that that's really important and Pep's just going to find himself being asked different questions now and it's going to be a real case of like can he handle this? Like, does he like not succeeding yeah, when yeah. he's had all his joy? What, what Dean references there with the spaces between the lines opening up and the difference in distance between, say, the midfield and the forward line to the midfield and defensive line, it's basically what we're saying is tactical indiscipline, which is absolutely not something you can really ever say about a Pep Guardiola side. If they're one thing, it's they are tactically fine-tuned. So yes. this is quite alarming. Another thing he, he mentions, which is United blocked out the middle and four City wide. There's a definite correlation this season in games that City aren't doing so well in and the number of crosses that they are sending in rising. 
And that's not really how they want to play, right? De Bruyne's low crosses are one thing, but generally speaking, without Zinchenko, they shouldn't be lofting them in. But they are doing so. David Silva, this is a problem. I don't want to say... I almost don't want to say this, but when, when teams are blockading the middle like Manchester United did... That is usually when David Silva would step up and find that eye of the needle pass, that very precise link. David Silva doesn't look right. And it's, yeah, it, it, no, is a, right. it is a case of father time, I would imagine, um, catching up with him. And it's really sad because he's an amazing player and has been for so long. But even against the bad teams, he only plays well for 60 minutes. And against the good teams, he just doesn't play well. And there's a little, there's, there's imprecise parts of his game that are cropping up now, which is just so alien to what he is as a footballer. And this is the issue. When a team like United funnel City out wide and they block the middle, that's when you need someone like Silva to pick the lock. And he's basically not doing it. I'm not just trying to pin it all on him because Laporte's injury, Sané's injuries, Inchenko, no Aguero. De Bruyne hasn't looked quite himself over the last three weeks. Pretty much everything he tries doesn't come off except that goal against Newcastle. But he's he's, he's probably trying too hard at times. Um, So it it does feel like it's all kind of falling down around him Mm. and around this team. The precision is gone. So, you know, uh, one thing that kind of strikes me from what you've just said is that, you know, a year or two years or three years ago, Pep is reasonably ruthless with the, with these decisions. You know, sentimentality doesn't often creep into his game. He's quite happy to drop people if he doesn't think they're playing well, yeah, if he doesn't yeah. think that they're, you know, they're earning their keep. And yet, David Silva remains in this side. Is this a, a case of sentimentality or the fact that, all those injuries have meant that he can't start Sane on one wing and play Bernardo Silva into the middle. But, you know, if you're Phil Foden, you must be going, he's not playing well even, and he's still playing ahead of me. How, yeah. how do I break this down? It is an interest. You're right. He's, he's been cutthroat, hasn't he? And, but they've given David Silva the captain's armband for this season, which is expected to be his final season at Man City. And it may be that a bit of sentimentality is creeping in there. It may be that when you are so far off the pace and you are in a must-win situation, you would naturally turn to a player of that ilk and that experience. So that's fair. And you wouldn't necessarily throw Phil Foden in for that for that game. Talking of last year's champions finding themselves down in title races, Juventus lost their first game of the season to Lazio, leaving them two points behind Inter. Now, it's December and Juventus have just lost their first game of this season. Right, so it seems mad to be talking about them in crisis. And I think it would be way too strong uh, a form to say that they are in crisis. I don't think that's true Definitely. at all. But... At this point last season, after 15 Serie A games, they had 43 points and were eight points clear of second. This year, they're on 36 and two points behind Inter. It's not so much a what's going wrong as is something not quite as clear cut as it was last season. Or is this a case of Inter being so much better that this is now just a much fairer game? I think I think it's a bit of both. Sorry for the uh, very fence-sitting answer there. I mean, it, like Inter are brilliant. Yes, in, in, this Inter side are better, or be, at least better at grinding out results. I think than any of the Napoli sides and Roma sides that challenged Juve for the Serie A crown over the last six or seven years. Okay. So there's that. There's also the very clear and obvious Sarri ball roller coaster, and if we are following the exact same pattern as Chelsea did last year. So Chelsea started out with five straight wins and they didn't lose a game until November 24, which was away to Tottenham, which is a completely fair game to lose. At that point, it started to plateau. We are basically at that point. So Juve started off superbly. There was the only remaining unbeaten side in Europe for a stretch and it is starting to plateau. 
I also do have a slight issue with what Sarri's doing sometimes. Like, there's definitely a lack of intensity in some of their performances. I don't understand why Bernadeschi is playing as a number 10 in a diamond at times. Like, talk about shoehorning a player into a role that doesn't suit him and being stubborn in doing so as well. And we know that Sarri is a little bit stubborn Sarri at times. Is stubborn, but, but saying that, he's abandoned his 4-3-3, three, three, he, which he has, is bizarre. True, but he's gone back to the diamond he used at Empoli. So, oh. <laughs> so it only goes so, so far, far yeah. only so far back. Um, so, they, so Juventus have questions to ask themselves at this point. Not, not, they don't just point to Inter and go, well, Inter are better than any team that we've ever faced in the, in, the title, in the title race over the last five years. That's true, but they've got questions to answer themselves. I don't think there's the intensity there. Um, and also, you have to ask as well, like, do Juventus actually have time to ride these waves with Sarri? So say, yeah, right, they start really well, then they plateau, and then they get good again. As long like they have to get good again in time for Ronaldo to win the Champions League, otherwise they've just thrown so much money down the drain. Well, it's, the, it's entire, not that bad a shout. It's he's got three months before they play a series. You know, they'll have a, a last sixteen game. They'll win that group, and they'll yeah. have a re, you'd imagine a sensible yeah, yeah. You, game in the last sixteen. You'd think so. You'd think so. But the pressure is actually on for them now. The, 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 the clock is ticking for them for them to figure this out over the next three months because if they're not in a position where they've come out of that kind of lull, the Sarri lull on stage two, yeah. and they haven't moved into stage three, because it happened at Napoli as well. Napoli, he got the second season. Chelsea, he didn't. Yes. If they haven't moved out of that lull, like, this is, becomes a problem. Right now, it's not a problem. Right now, it's like, ah, growing pains. Dean, you had them pinpointed as your favourites to win the Champions League. Nailed do you still on, yeah, feel, yeah. Do you feel that still? <laughs> no. You changed, you, you changed your mind? No, I totally changed my mind because they are still going to come good and it's they still are good. to play out. Um, but there's definitely some reservations. Um, in Italy, they pinpointed Ben Tanker's injury against Lazio as kind of the turning point in that game. He went off after 35 minutes and although they ended up uh, playing with 10 men because Quadrado was sent off, like more has been made of the fact that they miss Ben Tanker when he's not there. Love um, his balance, his creativity on the right side is so important to them. They can't really replace it. Um, Kadira's got hurt as well and he's been playing a fair bit that's like, it and there's a big problem in the centre of the park you know um, Melon Emre Chan is not up to it and it's a big big issue for me is that they have forked out a lot on wages for Rabio and Ramsey and they've pretty much been invisible Ramsey it just has injury after injury like they've all been a bit different and so even when he's played you know he hasn't been able to get going and rabio hasn't got going either so like they haven't they've bought those two to like reinforce the middle of the park and they haven't, haven't seen much of either really yeah, of seen course. much of either yeah yeah we spoke briefly about the manchester derby but someone who featured for manchester united and who seems to have massively turned a corner in the last month or so is fridge and fridge. i know there are a fact that, Dean, you have been quietly admiring Fred well, for a little while Well, I've just been a bit supportive now. of him because I think like a lot of the criticism that he got, particularly from Man United fans, was way too much. Like The one thing you need is your own support on your side. I think inside the stadium, he's had it fine. But like on social media, it's been ridiculous. Like People writing him off as a Man United player. Like It, it was just too soon. And the big issue was always that he just wasn't getting enough games. He could never get going, didn't have the confidence or belief that he even belonged in that team and had a role. He finally has it now. So against Man City at the weekend, he was great. But it's no coincidence that was his ninth game in a row where he's played 90 minutes. He has not come anywhere close to playing that before for Man United. I think he played 
back-to-back games once last season in the Premier League, and it was right at the start of the season. Something like that, anyway, in terms of playing 90 minutes. So he just hasn't got going. And now we're on the verge of him, literally, before Christmas, he's going to have played more minutes than he played in the whole of last season. So that's why you're seeing Fred at his best. And I think we should also remember how hard Man City pushed for Fred before he actually joined Man United and that um, Guardiola really, really saw him as the player he wanted instead of Rodri. Like, Rodri wasn't the man he wanted. He wanted Jorginho ahead of Rodri. He wanted Fred ahead of Rodri. Um, this was a year before. Yeah, a year before. Yeah, year totally, before, yeah, yeah. Of course. But still, it was, it was his range of passing. It was his physicality and it was his energy. Like, he can really, really get around a pitch. He you haven't really seen that because he hasn't been fit enough. And now you are really seeing that. You are seeing his bursts forward. And I think that finally United fans are starting to think, oh, this is why we paid so much money for him. Sam, am I right in thinking that you're yet to be convinced? I don't... I, I mean, look, I, what, I will say I appreciate what Fred produced against Man City. I would also say that he played really well against Tottenham yep. um, three or four days before. So he had two consecutive very good performances against top sides in the Premier League. So not going to take anything away from him there. But I'm also not willing to jump on this train just yet. Specifically because um, the game before Tottenham, he was run ragged by John McGinn and Jack Grealish. Like he, all he could do was foul them and look at them as they ran off. So we're Jack not. Grealish we're... is the most fouled player in the Premier League. He's yeah. not. He's not really adding. Any Fred's a massive part of that statistic, my friends. <laughs> doesn't take um, a lot. <laughs> like he got. He got uh, run rings round basically. So I'm not quite willing to crown him as back or you know anything like that just yet because the two good games, fine. But it's two good games. So let's just chill out. And also. Take it back to Shakhtar, as I watched a bit of him at Shakhtar three three years ago, three years or so before he joined. I did a video scouting report for BR on him, and he was a very good, very good passer of the football. Um, good clean technique, bad balance, bad at tackling, fell over a lot, and he was a very weird player. And what's happened at the Premier League level, at least, obviously the momentum or lack of is a problem. And the fact that he hasn't been given the games is a problem. But I think the intensity of the Premier League has actually accentuated the fact that his balance is kind of rubbish. And he does kind of look a little bit all over the place sometimes. And that's because, despite the fact that he is probably about your height, yeah, I'd say he's about my his, his centre of gravity is completely completely off, which is like... Very biz- not me. It is bizarre for a player that size to be like that. But with the momentum and adjusting to the intensity of the Premier League. Because, look, it's more intense than the Ukrainian Premier League. We all know that. Don't know, mate. Don't know. I've never played the Ukrainian Premier <laughs> never League. Never played it. That sounds sound terrifying. Don't know. Like, um, <laughs> I, he'll, get, he'll get there. But I'm just not willing to crown him just yet. Talking of crowning people, mm. uh, it's time for you to crown some Melons of the Week. Oh, no. It's time for Melon of the Week. This Who? week's Melon of the Week is Habi Martinez of Bayern Munich. Okay. What a weekend he had. Came on as a sub, 67 minutes, score at 1-1, fine. Then proceeds to get booked on 82 minutes. <laughs> Reasonable, that being subbed on bit. <laughs> well, it's not really. Is that his highlight? His form this season hasn't been great. Comes on, yeah, 82 minutes, yellow card, fine. 90th minute, 10 seconds left of the game. A ridiculous, rash challenge on Marcus Turam, goes sliding in, takes him out, absolutely no doubt it's a penalty. Yeah, it's a really bad tackle, you're right. Gets sent off, concedes a penalty. Benzabaini scores the spot kick. Gladbach win it 2-1. They stay top of the league. Bayern are stuck in seventh. 
Gladbach is seven points behind them now. The funniest thing for me was Kimmich's uh, reaction to the whole thing. Like, when he made the challenge, Kimmich goes... Oh, he goes mental. He's just screaming at him. Melone, Melone. <laughs> it was weird how Joshua Kimmich's become Italian. Yeah, I mean, yeah. That's my favourite no, bit of this. Yeah, <laughs> he's just he's just shouting Melon at him because uh, he just knows he's just cost him the game. Yeah, right. um, it was. It's a terrible challenge, and Bayern are. Yeah, like you say, seven points behind Gladbach now. Great scenes. After the break, we're going to switch things up a little bit. We have a very special guest, Mr. Matt Walker, who's coming in to talk about his book, Europe United. But we've asked him to do loads of lists about atmospheres, about the craziest places he visited, the scariest places he visited. So we're basically going to take you on a European tour. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks, where we are delighted to be joined by the man who literally wrote the book on touring Europe in a football sense, Mr. Matt Walker, author author of Europe United, in which he visited all 55 UEFA nations to watch a game of football, at least, in each over the course of a season. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Absolute pleasure to have you. Thanks very much. It's great to be on here as well. I think before we get into the rankings, it'd be good to get a little bit of background for our listeners how did this come Hell, about? Why? Like, what on earth possessed you, you to doing, start man? this crazy adventure? I've always loved football and travel. I just had to come up with the idea of combining the two. An excuse, uh, you mean? <laughs> something of an excuse, yeah. <laughs> and then I thought maybe nobody has ever visited all of the 55 UEFA nations. Of course, some people have over a long period of time. So I had to make it more difficult by trying to complete it in one season and then make it more difficult still by only watching a top division league match in each of the 55 UEFA nations. Yeah, I mean, you really put the limitations on yourself. <laughs> yeah, you, you know, you weren't like, oh, I could maybe make this easy. You know, when you, when you started it, were people just like, this is insane, what are you up to? Yeah, I think so. I think some people thought I was crazy, but most people with a true love of football realised that I would get to experience the extremes of the European game. And it would also take me to some really obscure places yeah, that I've never visited before, like the Faroe Islands and Kazakhstan. I mean, we're going to get into this in, in a kind of sense that we're going to play travel agents a little bit through a series of mini rankings. We're going to throw through all the ups and downs associated with your travels. So if one of our listeners wanted to go on a European tour themselves... You know, where they'd be going, where they'd be avoiding, what places you'd recommend. They might not have even heard of examples. So we'll start with maybe an obvious one. You know, we'll go three to one. The three best atmospheres that you visited on your travels for, for whatever reason, whether that be, you know, they were loud as, as anything or TIFOs, it was all TIFOs or, you know, whether it was just a warm reception you got there and, and made to feel comfortable. Straight what, was away. he on the pitch clapping the Yeah, fans? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Whether you got a game in any of them. Or, <laughs> <laughs> That'd be tremendous. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the three, three best atmospheres that you visit. Okay, there are three, three kind of different reasons. So, so number three, I'm going to go for Maribor in Slovenia. And they were just a really nice club towards me. It was quite late on in my journey and people had kind of heard about my travels by then and they were kind of the perfect hosts. I was even taken for a haircut in the club <laughs> shop. Yeah, you can get your haircut at Maribor. Actually, by, one, the... by one of the players or the manager? <laughs> no, no, but, but the, the, the director was having his haircut at the same time with his dog. I don't think his dog was getting a cut. <laughs> uh, so they were just a, a very pleasant place. Slovenians are lovely people. Slovenia is a beautiful country. And it was just a lovely place to go and watch Football and Maribor have been punching above their weight in the European yeah, game. I was going to say, they're some perennial sort of Champions League contenders slash Europa League group stage kind of uh, a team for, for quite a long time now. With a very small budget. Yeah. So, yeah, they were a very friendly place, a very friendly place to go and, to go and visit. Uh, 
Number two, I'm going to go for Hapoel Beersheva in Israel. Now, I didn't know a huge amount about Israeli football. I actually found out that Hapoel Beersheba are the uh, most southerly club to ever play in the Champions League, right in the southern part of, uh, part of Israel. And I thought it would be no problem getting a ticket to a match at Hapoel Beersheba, but it turned out the match sold out. They have a very fervent support. They've won the uh, championship several times recently. and It was only through an Israeli contact I managed to get into the match. Yeah. And then quite incredibly, they unfurled a banner that went over three of the, uh, three of the bottoms of the stands. And I had to get my, uh, my friend to translate it. <laughs> what did it say? It was something like, uh, said, you know, welcome, Matt, Matt Walker. <laughs> it would be tremendous if it was welcoming me, but I wasn't that famous in Israel. So it, it, was, it was more about give everything for the team until your legs fall off. Um, but you <laughs> might know that. <laughs> nice, and, nice and sensible then. Yeah, but it, well you might know that with, uh, with Hebrew, you actually read it from right to left, yeah, not yeah. left to right. So I was told off for filming the banner the wrong way on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just using that technology to like reverse yeah, the video yeah. like, so later I, along. I did it the other Just way. say it was a boomerang, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's really cool. But like, was it like a, a big game? Was it a derby? Was it, you know, was there something about it the game? Was, was it just they sell out every game? I think they sell out pretty much every game. It was, it was against one of the bigger clubs in, in, in Israel. But because they're a regional team punching well above their weight, a bit like Maribor, really, um, they get, they get very, uh, very good support from a, a town with a big university. Cool. All right. Well, then. I mean, they're two very different reasons. Uh, I'm excited to hear what's in there, number one. Well, number one is just sheer unadulterated noise, and that's got to be Turkey. And the team I saw there was Trabzonspor, mm. probably the, uh, nice. the fourth biggest club yeah. in, Who they um, playing against? in Turkey. Who were they playing against? Uh, they were playing against uh, Alanya Sport. So OK, so it wasn't it was, even it was, like Galatasaray nothing, or anything and nothing like that. Really, nothing really game, but, but, but the, uh, the crowd behind the goal, and I elected, as I often did, to go for the cheapest tickets, which were just £5, uh, to sit behind the goal. Well, I say sit. It was seated, but, <laughs> yeah. but no, no one, one sat. sat. Yeah, yeah. Everyone used the seats to stand on. And uh, I think the guy next to me in the crowd, he, he said to me, well, you know, I don't actually watch the football. I just participate and then I watch it back on TV afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> for a fiver, fair enough. Well, yeah, and the yeah. atmosphere there was, 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 was tremendous. And what's important to note, in Turkey, they don't really drink alcohol. Yeah. So everybody there was just high on, on cigarettes, atmosphere. football and uh, <laughs> caffeine. They drink a lot of tea in, yeah. in, in Turkey. So, yeah, I mean, Turkey's famous for having a great atmosphere. And I recommend anybody who's got the opportunity to go and watch a game there because it's, it's a tremendous atmosphere. I think something that I when I started watching Turkish football, I didn't realise, maybe quite stupidly, that the spore was just a, like a football club. Yeah. And I assumed that it was like a place. So I was like, ah, oh, there's so many teams from this sport place, <laughs> wherever it is. Like, there must there. be so many local derbies going on. So whenever anyone says things like those two clubs, I was like, probably a derby. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, but that's really interesting. Like, you know, the, the way that the, the different things draw you in, you must have experienced so many different kinds of atmospheres from, you know, very small grounds with, with very few people in them to the kind of wall of noise you experience in Turkey. That kind of scale and variation must have been mad for, for the entire kind of trip. Yeah, I mean, sometimes you went on a run of going to watch very lowly attended games. You know, sort of I went to, I did Am. Dora and then followed that with Gibraltar. All of the matches I saw in those two places were less than 100 people watching the well, game. Well, it's less than 100 people than Andorra, mate. So <laughs> <laughs> you can't really expect anything else. And then you contrast that to going to watch uh, Sevilla Atletico, which was, of course, a sold-out match in La Liga. Um, but I got different things from different matches. Obviously, the, you see the, the higher-quality 
players in the big leagues. But you get a much more personal experience when you go to watch football in somewhere like Andorra and Gibraltar. I think that really comes comes through in the book as well, where some of the some of the best personal stories are from the smaller from the smaller countries. The Premier League must seem really boring to you now. Like there's no atmosphere. Like com- compared to some of the things that you've done and seen, like. Your average Premier League game must just not even come close. Well, I'm a Fulham fan as well. Obviously, not Premier League, but not renowned <laughs> We're for our... We're everywhere. Uh, We're well, everywhere, yes. ladies and gentlemen. Not, rena- not renowned for our uh, massive atmosphere. Even yeah, in, the cottage even is a quiet place at the best of times. Yeah, particularly now with one stand taken down. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was, it was quite difficult to come back to, uh, to, come back to English football because it's, 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 so, it's so mainstream and, and um, you don't get the, the sort of a personal attention you get in some, some leagues. Absolutely. Well, I mean, talking of the smaller places, I think the next kind of topic that I really wanted to get into was maybe like coolest places or stadiums or or, or teams even that people won't have heard of Uh, and kind of why, you know, there are obviously teams all over the planet which are, you know, have smaller tendencies, bigger tendencies that are off the beaten track. But, you know, what about these three places drew you to them and why should people go and visit them in the future, I'd say? Uh, certainly with regards to stadium design, I really enjoyed the Republican Stadium in the Armenian capital of Yerevan. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple of the clubs play there, but it's also used for Armenia's national, uh, national games. And the whole of Armenia's capital is made out of this sort of pink-hued stone, and the uh, Republican Stadium is, is made from that, that, that same stone. It has a beautiful uh, pink glow, um, particularly in the evening sun. I really enjoyed that as a sort of almost gladiatorial place to go and watch. That's go and watch awesome. Football. Yeah, it does sound cool, doesn't it? And they get very good attendances for Armenian national teams games, but obviously the uh, the attendance for the league game was only a couple of a couple of hundred. But yeah, definitely. How big uh, is the stadium? Uh, it's about fifteen thousand. So okay. it's, it's kind of a, it's a it's a nice size for a stadium, and they, they regularly sell out the national games. Um, so that's a yeah, that's a that's a that's a cool place to go and watch football in a, in, in quite an. Uh, quite an obscure place yeah i mean it's like a really interesting place as well just you know with football aside like it's just a very sort of meeting of cultures kind of kind of area and it's always somewhere that's been kind of fascinating for me yeah yeah i mean that whole area of georgia armenia azerbaijan is is, is you know a real flux of different influences from the middle east from from the ex-soviet union you just have to be careful to visit azerbaijan first then armenia when you you're not the other way yeah. Yeah, it's very difficult to go the other way if you've got a Armenian stamp in your passport. Um, <laughs> Just a it, word of warning there for any yeah, travellers yeah. in there. Yeah, Azerbaijan, then Armenia, not the other way around. Um, second place I would pick on the rankings would be the Faroe Islands, just because it's such an obscure place to go and watch football. Um, and they love their football in the Faroe Islands. The population's only around about 30 or 40,000, yet they've got four leagues, the top two being professional. That's cool. Um, and they all play on um, artificial pitches because of the um, because of the inclement weather and you can almost guarantee to get a picturesque stadium the main stadium i went to which is uh, right in the capital torshavan has got sort of a mountain behind it and seagulls flying over the top and yeah i think that that's a dramatic place to go and watch go and watch football and you're you're guaranteed to see a game if you're there uh, you know over a weekend in the season yeah. and for the for the Sort of wackiest stadium of the of them all. I'll I'll go for the Pancho Arena, um, which is where Puskas Academia play in in Hungary. It's just outside of the Hungarian capital of Budapest. Yeah, and it's won various design awards for its crazy uh, crazy roof, um, which it kind of looks. I've said it and think in the book uh, the cross between a Shinto shrine and centre parks. It's got that. <laughs> it's got a real a real mix of influences. <laughs> That's a real compliment. Um, 
yeah, it's it's supported by some beautiful wooden beams. Um, just a very small stadium of uh, around about three thousand capacity, but in a tiny little village that ha- actually hosts a uh, top division football team, mainly because of the uh, the president having uh, been brought up there when he was a when he was a kid. But yeah, just outside of Budapest, if you can go and see a game there, whether it's during the day or at night, you'll get an amazing experience. Actually, I would go back to Hungary just to watch a game there at night, just to see you know sort of looks the like. ethereal look of all of those wooden beams lit up by the floodlight. I think, you know, something that kind of sprung to mind as you were talking there about about the Pharaohs is, you know, I know you went to see club games in all these places, but you've mentioned that a lot of these stadiums host national team games as well. And and often those games are the ones that sell out or or are are most widely attended. Do you think that something like the Nations League, where the four, you know, the, the League D having four teams, one of which is going to qualify for a next Euros, it is really spurring these places on because the Ferris have a genuine chance, not this time around, but of, of actually getting into a playoff to go to a, a major international tournament now. And that seems like such a boon for, for smaller nations and, and such a kind of lifeline in an era where things have been so dominated by the big boys in, in, in the international sphere. Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the Nations League had a, had a good impact on, on these countries. I mean, I would predict Kosovo would qualify uh, through their uh, through their group. Um, and I think, um, yeah, I think I think that's um, I think that's a good a good way of developing football in in, in those um, in those places. We so. just looked up the Pancho Arena. The Pancho the Arena is on my screen right now. And wow, that is crazy. That is amazing. Yeah. I love wow. it. I love behind the goal. Like I can't even really course, tell what's going on. Of course you do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like. The- What's the what happens at the bottom along there? It looks like there's a few chairs, maybe. Like, what's is it a stage? Is yeah, there's, there's there's kind of like a ridiculous angled stand behind the goal. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's 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 quite crazy. It was definitely bought with um, constructed with aesthetics in mind as opposed to uh, yeah, it doesn't fit many people in there, does it? A couple of thousand. Yeah, that if looks, that that looks incredible. Yeah, right, stick that on the list, boys. That is very cool. We'll be going there. there. I do want to go there. What were the three biggest kind of stadiums or biggest teams? I think you saw, and I, I found the experience in the bigger leagues quite difficult actually because I was trying to find stories for the book, of course. Um, but in two of those three games, in Sevilla and, and, and Porto, I was actually surrounded by other foreigners. You tend to find this happens when you, you go and watch a big game. All the foreigners are shunted in one, one area. It's quite hard to get stories from, you know, the locals. from other foreign fans uh, because they're just there to watch the game as well. Um, Smart, though. Corral all the English people together and just yeah. get them out of the way, you know. Put them in the corner. And you'll you're, you're read in the Porto, in the Portugal chapter that, you know, there were some funny things that happened with the foreigners around me at, the, at, that, Porto, at that Porto match. Mucho Gladbach was a bit better because I was actually surrounded by, you know, other um, hardcore uh, Borussia Mönchengladbach fans. Having a very good season this year, of course. Um, very good. And... Um, yeah, I, I still found it a little bit impersonal, but I was able to get you know a, a little bit of an inside info into uh, what was going on the pitch. For me, Borussia Mönchengladbach it was the first time I saw VAR being used at a live cool, game. Yeah. Yeah. It was being used in the Bundesliga okay. before the uh, before the Premier League and the World Cup, of course. The problem that you had in Seville was that you went to the wrong half. Shut up! <laughs> if <you'd>, don't <laughs> let him get into that. Don't let him talk about best. Right. But, but, no, no, no. I'll talk about Sevilla. Though. I've I've been to the Ramon Sanchez Pijuan and I thought it was absolutely amazing. Mostly because the goal music is so good. <laughs> they weren't playing much of that when they were five 0 down to Atletico. <laughs> <laughs> I wish they'd played it the other way. Yeah, they don't do that. Fair enough. Did you? You didn't see a Sevilla goal? I did. I saw two, but they may not have played it so late on. It, there were two consolations yeah. at the end. You're going to do the whole trip again. Well, let's go on to. The one that I'm most excited for, I think. The scariest places you visited. The places with a bit of edge that maybe you wouldn't say to avoid, 
but just maybe be careful if you if you go in these places and and you know what they offer in in a positive sense as well as being a little bit you know dangerous could we say <laughs> jack loves danger okay like. I'll, I'll, yeah there's a, there's a there's a three two one here um i'm going to start three north macedonia where i went to see the derby not that it's actually a derby in the terms of them both being the, from the same city between varda and palesta they call it the eternal derby and um, it was actually a big anniversary for Varda, the home team, and they did a whole load of uh, TIFO. It was some of the best TIFO. Was it at the King Philip? Yes, it was, which is a 30,000-capacity yeah, stadium. They used there, it for the Super Cup final. very interesting stadium. Yeah, it's a nice stadium. The pitch was a bit worn because they play so many games on it. But, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> the uh, home TIFO was very good, and a lot of people had turned up the game just to watch the TIFO. Normally, they get small hundreds in there. Uh, <laughs> North Macedonian League. Obviously, it was Macedonia when I visited. Uh, because Palesta was an eternal derby, you know, we expected a few away fans. They only turned up sort of towards the end of the first half. And my, what? Well, yeah, my, my, uh, <laughs> my contact said it was due to uh, the trains running late, <laughs> uh, which is something that you can uh, definitely relate to here I guess in the so. UK. Yeah. So. Um, but, they, yeah, they put up a few insulting banners uh, that the Varda fans weren't very happy with. And after the Varda had won the game 1-0, they charged towards the Palista fans and started throwing fireworks at them. So that was my, uh, right. that was my you know, my Throwing moment. fireworks at them. <laughs> that was my moment to, uh, to leave the stadium with my, uh, with my contact in Skopje. Number two is a bit strange. It was scary for me, not necessarily for the atmosphere, because there was no atmosphere, because in Albania, the game I saw was being played behind closed doors. Not that anyone had told me this. So I arrived at the stadium, you know, desperate to see Flamatare Vlore play. And they said, yeah, uh, uh, yeah, there's no fans today. And um, I had to use, uh, you know, my best persuasive tactics. And I had to do this quite a lot on the trip to be let in. It's supposed to be behind, being played behind closed doors, but there was about 150 people there. Everybody, you know, sort of media plus, you know, seemingly friends of friends and family and wives. And, yeah, it was it, and ball boys. It, was, it wasn't really behind closed doors in the in the true nature of the word. But it was scary for me because I didn't think I'd get in, and I didn't have Albania. I didn't have much time in Albania. I left Albania the following day to go to Greece. So, so I got, that, what size was the stadium there at that time? Uh, that was about, you know, about four or five thousand. Okay, quite a small stadium. One hundred and fifty people in a in a four or five thousand seat stadium. That like we we recently went to a third full Emirates, and that in itself is a bit haunting, just because it's so big and so echoey. So behind closed doors games on TV always look really quite haunting and quite it, weird. Yeah, it was really quite strange. I mean, you can hear every shout from every player. Yeah. Um, you realise that football's a game of men screaming at each other. Yeah. You forget that, don't you, when you're watching on TV? And of course, the people being let in were all. You know, there were club officials and they were being quite, you know, quite polite, not like fans some of the time. <laughs> that is quite weird. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, and number one is, uh, well, it's actually on the front cover of the book. It's the Krakow derby between uh, Krakowia and Vizsla. If you're watching on YouTube, um, you can see that right here. <laughs> now, I knew there'd be an atmosphere at this the game. The Holy I, War, it's, it's called. It's the Holy it? War, yeah. yeah. Um, I knew there'd be an atmosphere at this game. I planned it when the fixtures came out because it quite nicely fell midweek, which helped my planning. Um, Polish TV expressed an interest. I was being hosted by uh, Canal Plus there. I was very glad I was because the uh, the match was uh, suspended for 20 minutes when uh, the Krakowia fans started firing fireworks again, but this was far more intense at the uh, Vizsla travelling support. Um, and it actually led to all sorts of um, examinations of uh, football supporters in Poland where, you know, they have a, do have a bit of a reputation. And I suggested to the TV crew that I walk back to my uh, back to my cheap hotel, and, and they said, 
I wouldn't do that tonight, and they gave me a lift. It was yeah, it was one of those atmospheres where you you didn't didn't hang around. No one was wearing a shirt as well in Crackle yeah, that that's night. That's never a good sign. Yeah, I got a couple of questions for you. You sure. said front cover of the book here is that one. What's this one on the back? That looks rubbish. <laughs> that's in Kosovo. That's in my neighbour's back garden. <laughs> uh, he I'm, the, that's, uh, me. that's me heading the ball into the goal. This is the guy watching the match from the crane. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, a cheap ticket. That's, uh, that, that was Jilan uh, in... Um, in um, well, Drita were the home team in the city of Jilan in, um, in Kosovo. Okay, did you enjoy this whole thing? Yeah, this was what I was going to say. I know Sam had one question that he was desperate to ask. Right. Did you enjoy it? I loved it. Yeah? yeah. At no point did it. I guess it wore on you at times, but then you get that resounding positive feeling off it. It was the totally different experiences from going from Western countries to Eastern European countries to big games to small games to places I've already been before to countries I've never been to. And the sort of democracy of the whole project, the fact it was forcing me to go to every country. There were some yeah. countries in Europe I really didn't want to go back to, but I had to as part of the, uh, mm. as part of the trip. So. I love the whole thing. The fact that it was, you know, football and travel and then a book as well meant that it had all of my favourite things. Wrapped but now up you've got mind. a void in your life because you're not able to do all these things that you've been doing over that period of time. Do you miss it? Well, I've still been travelling to watch football. I've been to see the Belgrade Derby. I was at the Africa Cup of Nations in Egypt. I've just been at the Azteca in Mexico City as well. So, yeah, I'm still getting into You're going to carry going. The bug has yeah, a I bet there's a new project in the works. There, there, may, be another, <laughs> there may be another continent coming up. Well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us today. Uh, my pleasure. It's been so much fun. Yeah, it's been cool. Uh, do you want to tell the listeners where people can pick up the book for, for more of these stories? Yeah, the book's called Europe United by, by Matt Walker. It's available widely in books in, in bookshops in the UK, but probably your best bet internationally is to look at Amazon where it's available in about 12 countries. Perfect. Highly recommended, by the way. I'm about halfway through. And Jack just carries it around all the time. Yeah, you it, see him and it's just it's delves into It's a it. really big book. So, you know, there it's, are. it does sort of sit with like you. Like a Bible. It's super value for money. It is really good value for money. <laughs> it's really, really interesting. I'm, I'm really enjoying myself. It's my, my train journey kind of companion at the moment. So thank you so much, Matt, for that. And thank you so much for joining the Rank Squad today. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Thank you very much. Welcome back to BR Football Ranks. And thank you so much to Matt Walker. Mm. Very, very entertaining. Very, very enjoyable. Madman. Lads, we've got some admin to do uh, before we move on to roulette. Uh, As many of you know, as many of you listeners will know, we're up for an award at the FSF Awards. We're up for Best Podcast. Probably won't win it, but never mind. Not the point. Uh, the bad news is they've only given us two tickets mm. to this Which show. suggests we haven't won it. It does suggest we haven't <laughs> won it yet. It suggests we haven't um, won it. We, we only have two tickets to the thing. So unfortunately, that means that one of us isn't going to get to go. And you've clearly decided you're going. Well, I'm going, yeah. I've decided. You two got to go to the Ballon d'Or, so I'm going to the FSF Awards. It's fair um, Which means I'm going to have to flip a coin. And I thought it'd be good to do this live on air <laughs> to see who gets to go to the FSF Awards. Um, so between you, can you decide Tails. whose heads and... I mean, are we doing one toss? Are we doing best of three? I think it's a best of three. Best of three, because the other one still has hope when they yeah, lose yeah, the yeah. first toss. Absolutely. I'll take, I'll take tails, tails, please. Dean, I'll take you okay heads. with this? I'll take All right, then. <laughs> Let's go. You have to... Tails, first one, 1-0 one Sam's 1-0 one up. Very dangerous lead. It is always a dangerous lead. Need that second goal. It's 1-0. Oh, it's no! Oh. We've gone to a deciding flip. Here we go. The person going to the FSF Awards is Dean Jones. Oh. Oh. <laughs> Sam's off. <laughs> He's taken off his headphones. He's, He's left his out the chair. Studio. See you, mate. Oh, no. We have no more Sam. He's That's gone. it. It's over. Come on. I just needed a minute. You just needed a minute. I needed a minute to compose myself. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I just want everyone to know this means a lot to me. Oh, sorry. I was very sad. We're doing a Classico-themed roulette today, because as you know, the first Classico of the year coming up next Wednesday. Mm. We're going to talk about it today. First look at the Classico, really start to get into the important questions. Then the first one is number 10. They're not all serious, so I'm quite interested to know what this comes up. Oh, okay. The first one is a serious question, actually. This Classico has obviously been delayed. Do you think that is going to improve the quality of the game that we see? Sam, I'll start with you here. Um, I think it's improved the overall quality of the football. I think it's going to make it worse as a spectacle. Because, what, a month ago or so, when this game was supposed to be played, both teams were absolutely terrible. It would have been hilarious. Whereas now, they've actually got got their act together. I think it will be quite cagey and there'll be quite a lot of good play on show, which is, you know, what some people want. But I preferred the bit where they were definitely going to draw two all, there were going to be three red cards, and <laughs> yeah. both teams were going to implode afterwards. Less chaos, more quality, there is, is what you're saying. Yeah, I, I do. I mean, obviously, both teams have made great strides over the last month. Real Madrid, in particular, are a hell of a lot better than they were a month yes. ago. And they, they now have a much better chance here. I think it will lead to a cagier game. So we'll, we'll, we'll definitely get a few moments of magic. We'll definitely see better sides on show. Sides befitting of the names Real Madrid and Barcelona. It will feel more like a Clasico and less like a circus. But I prefer circuses. I think something that's really come to light from Madrid over the last month is the emergence of Fede Valverde as probably their best player. Most valuable which player. Is, which is not something I think anybody saw coming at the Maybe start Zidane of the season. Did. Maybe Zidane did. Do you remember did. When, we, when he sold Marcus Llorente and we were like, oh, wouldn't have done that. That's weird because yeah. Casemiro is your only real holder or glue in midfield. And actually it turns out Fede Valverde was ready to step up and he has been magnificent alongside Casemiro for the most part as well. Half the time he's keeping Modric out of the team. Yeah, I mean, he's just been very, very good. He's been good, superb. Yeah, I think the thing I'm most looking forward to compared to what it would have been is that we're getting proper Messi this time. So when, the, when it was due to be played last time, he was just coming back from that foot injury, had played a couple of games, but was nowhere near himself. He's scored like two goals. Um, but now you look at his stats from like the games since that Classico would have been, and he's got like eight goals in five games or something like that, or maybe even more, of a, maybe ten from whatever All it is. Pumps, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's Anyway, he's back to peak Messi, and yeah. that's what excites me the most because we wouldn't have been seeing him at his best, and these games, he's got to be because like that's what makes it. It's like when Ronaldo or Messi wasn't there when there was the match-up before. It, you just weren't getting the same spectacle. He's looking ridiculous. Last week, for the first time, uh, the Brazilian double pivot started uh, on either wing for Real Madrid. Rodrigo and Vinicius started yeah. next to each other uh, for the first time. It was loads of fun. Mm. It, I mean, it was a bit chaos and like, you know, mm. we weren't quite sure what was going on. But they were really, really fun. For the Lost, first time yeah. in ages, enjoyed watching Real Madrid. They're, they're fun at yeah, the yeah. moment. They're, they're exciting. And, you know, even when Real Madrid were at their best, and, and I'm not suggesting that this is, this is what they should not go back to because obviously they, they won three Champions Leagues in a row. But they were just kind of ruthlessly efficient. Mm, yeah. You know, they just got the job done and it didn't matter how how enjoyable it was to watch. They just sort of ground out results and, and just would score three headers or, yeah. or yeah, whatever. Yeah. Now they're loads of fun. Yeah, and I'm are, really, yeah. really enjoying watching Real Madrid. At the yeah, moment. and they've still got the reliability of like Benzema through the middle. You know, he's having a ridiculous season. Um, Jovic not getting a look in at all now, um, which he, I think he would definitely have expected more minutes than this off of this season. But when so Benzema's far. playing like this, and the guy's durable, like you have to give, he can play three games in a week, he no really can. problem. So why move away from it? If Real Madrid have come out of a small chaotic period, a lot of their players are finding better form. It's not just because Valverde's been put in, like loads of their players are now finding their higher levels again after 
they all collectively dropped. And that is a huge part of their resurgence. So, yeah, you can't just go, oh, this is working really well. Should we try Jovic? Like, that's, that's stupid. Yeah. yeah, no, of course. And we wouldn't do that. Let's have another spin. So this week, Rodrigo has come out and said that Hazard used to be his wallpaper. Maybe. Which Real Madrid player would you have as your wallpaper? Dean, I, I think this question is made for you. Yes, I-S-C-O. It's, um, it's Go Jones. Yeah. Name, the, name Jones. of the second child, boy coming, or girl. M- coming May 2020. <laughs> <laughs> it's Go works for a boy or a girl. Great. Um, yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a great name. Who else would you want? I mean, I'm surprised at some point I haven't had Isco as the wallpaper on my phone, to be honest. And I might have, you know. Where is Isco? Is he okay? He's fine. He's okay. He's not, he's not seen very often these days, but this is kind of the way he likes things, I think, at this point. He's, I think he might have to go. He's going to be... No, mate. We linked, say that. We he's always linked to the transfer every single August and every single January. There's about 200 players in front of him in the pecking order now. Yeah, but hang on. I think so, I might be in front of him in the pecking mate, order. Mate, he's only three years away from a testimonial. <laughs> <laughs> so just hang in there. If he gets to a testimonial... I will have him as the wallpaper on my phone for a year. Okay. Oh, I like it. Very, very good. Sam, who would you have as your background? Uh, Audrey Azola. No one else has given what? him love. I'll just do it. Well, you've just picked him for the sake that no one else would. Well, who else has given him love? His mum? <laughs> Dad? Other, other than Mr. and Mrs. Audrey Azola. Yeah. He hasn't got really many fans, has he? If I, but ser- seriously, um, I'd probably rep rank squad and go for Luka Jovic. Oh, yeah. yeah, in support of Luka Jovic. He needs support right now. If I was to pick a player that actually plays football, because neither of those two do, Casemiro. Yeah, Casemiro doesn't Cas- get enough love. <laughs> Casemiro doesn't get enough love. He's a lunatic. But I, I think it is. I, I would also like to, to suggest that, can I go for the Real Madrid loanees? Because I'd basically have any of them ahead of... I guess Obviously, Martin Odegaard okay, yeah. having yeah. the season of his absolute life, the most creative player in Liga yeah, behind fair. Leo Messi, um, or just you know the man, the man, the miracle, the legend, Danny Ceballos, who oh, eventually okay, yeah. will return home one day. I believe. Speaking of Is- Isco, where is he? Like, is, what's Ceballos? He's injured. I haven't seen him for ages. How bad? Quite bad. Yeah. yeah, I think he hurt himself quite badly. He's he's on the way back, but he's not back yet. Oh, Danny. Um, so so that's get well soon. Man. Get well soon, Danny Ceballos. Right, last spin. <laughs> Oh, Barcelona, a one-man team. Dean Jones. Uh, which man? Um... <laughs> <laughs> Frankie de Jong. Yeah, Frankie de Jong. Yes, he pulls the strings. I mean, do you know what? They, they, they kind of are a one-man team. Yeah, I, that's hard to say because they've got so many ridiculous footballers. But we're recording this before their Champions League match in which Messi isn't playing, hasn't travelled, so we'll find out how they've coped without him another day. But um, generally, they don't cope very well without Messi. They look nothing like the same team. And I'm going to say, yeah, because I would Barcelona win La Liga this season without Messi? No, they wouldn't. Not from what we've seen in the last few weeks, no. I think early stage seasons taught us that they still can't work it out without Messi. Um, although they were trying to introduce a few new variables, weren't they? So it was always going to be some growing pains. I think I'd say they're a one-man attack. Because yeah. I think saying they're a one-man team pays disservice to Mark andre Ter Stegen, who is basically equally important, but at the other end. Yeah, like the, the guy is absolutely ridiculous and has saved them so many times this season, last season, season before. So one-man attack, Messi... Um, I'll set the platform for you, Jack, to just disagree with us all and be like, no, Frankie. Frankie. Yeah, obviously, I'm going to talk about Frankie. I think it would be, 
obviously I was I was suggesting that he was the one man team as a joke, but I do think he's he's starting to come into his own as a really crucial member of this Barcelona side. And I think if you look at that Suarez goal, take a minute to just remember how good that Suarez goal was at the weekend. The Luis Suarez back chopped hill. back heel, chopped back heel. Oh, but actually, if you watch the build up, yeah. Frankie gets the ball. Gives the ball, gets the ball, gives the ball. And he moves around four or five players and then plays a perfect assist for, for Suarez to knock yeah, it in. And does, yes, yeah. there's a lot of work to do for Luis Suarez. I'm not taking yeah, it's a away bad from pass. his finish. <laughs> but the whole build-up is just Frankie basically working the defence until yeah. there's a gap. Yeah. And I think that more we'll see that more and more throughout the season now. That midfield is starting to find a little bit of balance. Obviously, Arthur not playing at the moment. Currently but, not available. But, groin, you know, groin, groin, groin injuries. injuries. Um, but we, you know, on the whole, you think that you know Frankie is starting to become the maestro in the middle here. Yes, yeah, and I think it would be disingenuous to not include him in this. Yeah, I like the way that Sam says one man attack because although as far as Griezmann, very good footballers, yeah. they're not the same without Messi. Like, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah. Okay, it's time for the return of the Picks League. And the oh, Picks yeah. League nice. hasn't been here in a little while. No. So it's like time to reintroduce Davy the Monkey, who Davey. has He's got, got a tie on. Ooh, he's very smart there. He might not be in a suit just yet. No, he's getting but there. But he's on the way. What's the score? Who's league? winning these Picks League? Sam is winning the Picks League by a point. First game of the weekend, Real Sociedad, Barcelona. Dean? 3-0 Barca. It's at Anoeta. Yeah, two one to Barca. Jeez, that's that's the, that's a tight game. Right, Davy the monkey says he says he says four one Barcelona. Okay, no, that's four one Sociedad. He's gone. No, because Sociedad are at home. <laughs> right, next up, Manchester United versus Duncan Ferguson's Everton. Big Dunk in charge. This is a club legend off. I love a club legend. Oh yeah, off. it is. Yeah, two one Man United. Two one Man United says Dean Samtai. Two two. Okay, two two. The Ferguson era carries on. And Davy the monkey says oh six one gone six one Everton. <laughs> He might not be wrong. <laughs> he could be. Big Dunk's image, right? Yeah. Big Dunk's image. Bounce back. Right, next up. Wolfsburg versus Borussia Mönchengladbach. Oh. Dean, you can start. 2-1 Gladbach. Okay. I'm the same. You're going 2-1 Gladbach as well. Davy the Monkey is going. Oh, he's gone 3-2 Gladbach. Okay. Oh. Wolves-Tottenham. So I've pitted this game Ooh. as Portugal's finest club against Portugal's finest manager. Okay. It's at Wolves. How long did that take you? About 25 seconds. <laughs> um, Sam, you can start here. One all. Dean? Kind of fancy Wolves. 2-1 Wolves. Keep going 2-1. Yeah. At the mole. At the, at the mole. mole on you. Oh, Davey's gone 6-2 Wolves. <laughs> To be fair, given the uh, the amount of goals that Mourinho's conceded in his first He's good at games, rolling sixes, isn't he? He loves a six. And we're going to finish this off with Cagliari against Lazio. 3-2 to Lazio. Three, at Cagliari. Yes. Mate, no. Cagliari, the best team in Europe at the moment. I'm going 2-0 Cagliari. Very Hang on a minute. You're, talk, you're saying that they're going to shut Immobile out. Yeah. yeah Immobile, 17 Ooh. Serie A goals. Davey's gone for three all. Now, Davey and I, we've got the right idea here. Two, three, a lot three, of goals. Three. Nonsense time. On Thursday, we have a general election in the UK. <laughs> you shouldn't be going down this route. So, general election where we as a country will vote for a political party to assume a government mandate and control our country. It's equivalent to a presidential election in the US. And a bit of late breaking news for you guys. I'm going to run for prime minister. <laughs> I formed a party. It's called the Nonsense Party. And today... I'm going to present my three proposed policies that will win me the election and see me take control of the UK. OK, go. Excellent. Number three, fast walking lanes. <laughs> <laughs> now, you guys know me. I have a very placid temperament. I'm, I don't get angry. 
very easily or very fast. You stormed out of here stormed a minute ago. out of the podcast today. Apart from that bit. <laughs> <laughs> apart from that. <laughs> apart from that. Uh, but all of my self-control goes out the window when I'm stuck behind a slow walker. Now, many of the listeners will know, some will know, I, I'm a large man, six foot four, very tall, and my stride is quite mighty. So I can really pick up the pace here, and I do like to get places fast. When I get stuck behind people that are dawdling, that really angers me. So I'll use whatever we can out of the public budget. I've probably been off all the roadworks that have been inconveniencing us all. That one that goes to the Heathrow Airport, like how long has that been going on? Just get rid of that. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and provide fast walking lanes on every pavement so that people like myself can get to places on time and not get stuck behind idiots. Right, OK, I like it. That's, <laughs> a, that's a minimum five mile an hour zone. <laughs> minimum five. All right. All right. Average pace is around three. <laughs> okay. What's the number two? Number two is there will be no more raw tomato in sandwiches. Oh. Because raw tomato is disgusting. And That's I don't not, really... Oh, no, un- I, I, I don't understand how anyone can, can actually enjoy well, this. What else does apart from you? I think it's particularly problematic in sandwiches because it's really soggy. It seeps into the bread, which creates a structural instability. And it also changes the taste of other ingredients. So, like, you can get a sandwich, like, four or five things in. You might not like one, but you could just take it out. And it's fine. Like a McDonald's burger, you can just take out the gherkin. No oh worries. my God, we need to talk about this. I went to McDonald's with Sam before the Arsenal game yeah. and he had a cheeseburger and he took everything out of it. Like no sauce, no gherkin, no lettuce. No he onion. just had burger, cheese, cheese and bread. bun. Yeah. It, was, it was genuine. Like a five-year-old. It was man. the worst order I've ever seen. I don't even <laughs> like cheeseburgers and I was looking like, mate, All flavour gone. No, it was really nice. But anyway, you can take stuff out of that, but a tomato will ruin all of the ingredients. It's disgusting. So I feel like the majority of sandwiches you get on a shop shelf will have tomato in. Yes. Just because it's nice. They will actually, they will, <laughs> like under my leadership, that will be banned, okay? Raw tomato, bad. banned. Right, but, okay. For the record, though, just for any tomatoes listening, I like cooked tomato. It's fine. If you cook it, it's fine. But raw, disgusting. Fine. Right, number one. Number one. 3 p.m. football is on TV. Uh, yeah, great rule. So, for those that need explaining, explain, because as far as I know, this only is only abroad, a UK though. thing. Only abroad you, football should be on the UK TV. So I watch the three o'clocks from like the Bundesliga, please. If that's if that's what you need to Doesn't do, they're on two thirty. If that's what if that's what we need, fine. I, I'm I'm open to discussion on that. If I have to form a coalition, for example, fine. with the Jack Collins party, yeah, the, the poets the poet party, party, the poet party, uh, then fine. But in this country, we have a three p.m. blackout where you're not allowed to show the three p.m. kickoffs. Because I think the theory is that it will ruin lower league attendances in this country. I think it's just attendances Attendance in general. general. Like, it's like you're basically, if it's a 3pm on a Saturday game, most people, most of the general public, you know, apart from people who work in shift industries, mm. basically can go to the games if they're local. And thus, putting them on TV would lower those attendances. Yeah. So th- they're trying to protect those attendances in some way. Although that will only apply to some, like, very few top level clubs. Because top, like, most Premier League clubs will have mostly sold out stadiums particularly like stadiums like Chelsea like you can't get a ticket for that like it's hard like tourists that come to London ask me like oh can I see a game I'm like no you can only go to West Ham that's basically that's basically (laughs) where and they go oh never mind Um, (laughs) so my manifesto is that the 3pm blackout is removed in some form so we could get a 2.30 Bundesliga kickoff if you you can't give me Manchester United, 3pm, not that they ever really play at 3pm on a Saturday, then give me the Bundesliga or give me... When the Classico was at 3pm on a Saturday once and it wasn't on TV in England, we had an absolute riot. We did. There was minor riots. Something has to change there. 
and I will. I watch stream, and I will enact it. Streams are illegal, so it's like, well, how are we supposed to do this? I'm quite actually into this. I'm, I'm a big, I'm a big defender of the 3 p.m. UK kickoff should remain not TV. I don't care because quite often I'm at one, yeah, or I'm going to watch games around it. But I go to like random games in London because I'm like, oh, let's do it. If I, you know, Fulham away and I can't get to Fulham, then I will go to a different game to watch it. But. Um, I'm a big believer in that you should be able to watch the Bundesliga or Serie A or, whatever, or La Liga. Yeah. So when you go when you go on holiday, you go abroad or something, and then you you happen to be like looking, so you see a TV in a public place at two thirty or three, and then not only have they got their own football on, like the Bundesliga do, they've got the simulcast style goal show thing. Yeah. Where like Bayern Munich? No, nope, now we go to Frankfurt. No, nope, now we're off to Dusseldorf, and it's like there's not enough red. I don't. As far as I don't even get one game at yeah, three yeah. p.m. Let alone all of them. Yeah. Although if you watch a Tuesday night um, champions, uh, the yep. championship, obviously on Sky, you can all the goals come up on the screen, which is pretty cool. They do. Yeah. yeah we've got. Yeah. We've got some evidence of it. Um, yeah, but, not, but not enough. Mm. But yeah. Well, I still won't vote for you. But fair enough. Yeah, no, I'm I, I'm I'm upset by policy two, but one and three I can vaguely get on board with. So so on the whole, you've done a better nonsense than last week, where I disagreed with basically everything you said. True. Well, look, you're never going to agree 100 percent with everything a politician says. So two out of three is a pretty decent ratio nowadays. I think Meatloaf said that two out of three ain't bad. And and on that note, I'm going to close this podcast. <laughs> Thank you very much to Sam Tai. Thanks, mate. Thank you very much to Dean Jones. Thank you, sir. I hope you're looking forward to the FSF Awards, mate. I'm, I'm we'll buzzing. We'll next week. Um, we will, we'll let you know. We might, you know. We might Skype a, Skype a podcast. See what yeah, I mean, go live. we win, go live. be an immediate reaction pod. Go live on Dean Jones' Instagram is, uh, is the latest news. Um, please Sorry, do if, keep... you, if you win and go live, I'm leaving the... In- I, I'm out. What do you mean? I'd, I'd be so left out. No, we'll go live with you. You know, you can like do double Instagram lives. I just don't really feel like that would be good. <laughs> <laughs> well, what do you want us to do? Lose. Lose. Please do keep sharing the pod with your friends and please do keep giving us ratings and reviews on iTunes. They really do matter with helping to grow the podcast. Rank Squad Forever. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much to Matt Walker as well for joining us on today's episode. Some really, really interesting stories from all over Europe. Go and buy the book. It's absolutely class. We'll see you next week. Peace. Peace.